0: Mark 16. We're going to start at verse 14. Later, he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will... Take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs, amen. Father, we thank you for this journey, this walk with Jesus through this gospel. And as we study today, as we dig into your word today, we will doubtlessly address some of the elephants in the closet. And we just pray for a great understanding, courtesy of your Holy Spirit. And that there wouldn't just be an understanding for the purposes of knowledge, but Lord, that we would know what to do with what we're learning. With the complete confidence that your word never returns unto you void. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In one of the last letters the Apostle Paul wrote, the one that he penned to Timothy, it's uh, from 2 Timothy, and I'm not gonna ask you to turn there. But 2 Timothy 4, he writes something interesting. He says, for I am already being poured out as drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. So he believes that these are the last words that he's going to be writing. And if you believe that you're penning your last words, do you think that it's important to make them count? Any last words? And so it's in that same letter, right before he writes that he's being poured out and his departure is at hand, that he writes something very significant in 2 Timothy 3, and I wanna read this for you. It says, all scripture is given By inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, to equip the church. Basically, he gives us everything we need to get through. He gives us doctrine, and that tells us what we should do. And you've heard us say this before. There's reproof, tells us what we shouldn't do. There's the correction that tells us what we should do when we've done something we shouldn't do. And then there is instruction in righteousness, and that tells us how to do it. From the message translation, let me read the same verse, two verses from Second Timothy, which says every part of Scripture is God-breathed and useful one way or another, showing us truth, exposing our rebellion, correcting our mistakes, training us to live God's way. Through the word, we are put together and shaped up for the tasks God has for us. The words that we have in front of us, this is God's word. All scripture, inspired of God. God breathed, but there's a problem, isn't there? Because as Paul writes these words, as he's getting ready to be poured out for as drink offering, as he's coming towards the end of his ministry, well, you know this as well as I do, that there were books of the Bible that were written after Paul says, all scripture is God breathed. So what's he talking about? Well, when Paul's talking about all scripture, he doesn't just mean all the scripture that they had up until that time. It's fair to say that what he's referring to is the written record of God's revelation recognized as being God's truth. Past, present, future. Until the book of Revelation, the Bible tells us what was, what is, and what is to come from a God of our past, present, and future. But you would say, but Pastor John, we've got another problem. I have a translation at home. And there are more books in that Bible, perhaps coming from the Catholic Church. That was your experience. So how do I know what I can trust and what I can't? Can I trust the words that are in front of me? The questions that we begin asking are, when were they added? Who added them? And why were they added? And I say this because the initial books that you have in your Bibles, and you're saying, where are you going with this, PJ? As we're looking at the last part of the book of Mark, oh, it will be significant, trust me. But as we look at the Bible that's in our hands, the, the books that are in here, they had to have this criteria to be accepted. They had to have, they had to, the authors had to have an apostolic connection So they had to either be an apostle or they had to be connected to one of the apostles, whoever wrote it. The second thing was that they had to have consistency with the teachings that were being circulated. And the third thing was the circulation around the churches of that day. We're getting to why this is significant and needed. Your current Bibles have 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. And these books, they were circulated and they were accepted by the church uh, by the end of the third century. Let me read. After the Damascene Council of Rome in AD 32, 332, the Third Council of Carthage in 397, the question of the books that would be accepted was closed in the West. By the year 500, the whole Greek-speaking church had also accepted all the books in our present Bible. What changed? Well, there's another council that was held by the Roman Catholic Church in the mid-1500s that changed it. That recognized other books as being authoritative. And so the church had established practices of accepting and receiving different books based off of the church leader's decision. Now, this is why this is important. Okay, because... The church added books of the Bible in the 1500s to justify certain practices and things that they were doing within the church, things like purgatory or selling indulgences, and so they added these things, they added these books to help confirm what they were trying to put forth. Now, the point that I want you to take home from this when when it comes to the word is simple. When the church changes the word rather than the word changing the church, we're in trouble. Is that fair? And then just like when the world influences the church more than the church influences the world then we're in trouble. And let me summarize these two statements like this because this will hit it home and this will make it all make sense. When the church changes the world more than the when the church changes the word more than the word changes the church then the world will change the church more than the church changes the world. And let me repeat that. When the church changes the word more than the word changes the church, then the world will change the church more than the church will change the world. Let me ask you, what do you see more of in your culture? Do you see the church changing the world or do you see the world seem to be somewhat changing the church and it's changing the message? And again, why do we bring this up? What does this have to do with Mark? Oh, it has to do a lot with Mark. Because some of you, even in this congregation, have different translations. How many of you here right now are reading from an NKJV? Anybody? Anybody reading from an ESV? Okay. NIV? NLT? How many of you have the BLT? Okay. (laughs) The point is this, alright? The content, the message, the doctrine is consistent. But the reason we bring this up, and this is where we take the elephant out of the closet, is because some of you have a note in your study Bibles. Some of you have an asterisk by uh, anything that comes after Mark 8. Some of your Bibles include it, some of your Bibles don't. And now we take a look and we say, well, can I even trust it? Oh yes, you can. So then what's the difference? Some of the earliest manuscripts of the Bible Some of the earliest ones that are trusted do not necessarily contain anything after verse 9 in Mark 16. The reason that the King James and the New King Jimmy do is because the early church fathers, those that were closest to the apostles, accepted it as authoritative and they taught from it. Papias in the year 100, very close to the apostles. uh, Justin Martyr in 150 AD, Arrhenius, Hippolytus. uh, Those that were closest to the apostles, they taught it and they considered that it was authoritative. And while some of the few earliest ones don't, the majority of texts overwhelmingly do contain them and they're consistent with what we have in the rest of the book, the doctrine. Can we trust it? You bet, we can. And so what we have is something amazing in front of us. You have something that Paul didn't have. You have something that David didn't have. You have something that Peter didn't have. You have from Genesis to Revelation, you have the complete written revelation of the Word of God. But they had something that you don't have. They had an encounter with the resurrected Christ the living word. And so we have the written word and the spirit of God inside of us. We have that, they had encounters where they were walking with Jesus and they had the encounters with the living word. Now here's the thing, is that the encounter with the living word, he spoke into their lives in the very same way this book speaks into our life today. When we come to the book with an open heart, God's spirit inside of us, his people around us, his word in front of us, we hear from God the same way they heard from Jesus. And what did Jesus do? Well, when he spoke to them, he offered them words of correction. He offered them words of instruction. He offered them words of doctrine. He offered them encouragement. the same thing that your Bibles do today. You want to hear from God, all we have to do is open up the book. What we're gonna to see today in his last interactions with the disciples, we'll see first words of correction and conviction. Then what we'll see is a command and a commission. And that will lead to a choice and a consequence, and then a charge of con- and confirmation, and we'll unpack all of this. But here's the thing: you're sitting here saying, Pastor John, what is it with you and C words? It just so happens to be unpacked like that, all right? The, the way that I uh, have put it together. Um, so it's not like the Bible saying, "Well, there were seven seas." Now today's there's five C's. It's not that. It's just a teaching device, all right? But I, but I, the word C just keeps popping up. So we're going to use it. All right. So let's read verse 14 of chapter 16, which says later he, he being Jesus appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Stop right there. He appears to the 11 behind closed doors. And the very first thing he does. Oh, it's so good to see you guys. I love you. First thing he does, he offers rebuke and correction. That's the first thing. He rebukes their unbelief. What are you guys thinking? Even as we studied through the book of Mark, in Mark 8, he told them that he was going to die and be resurrected. In Mark 9, he said, I'm going to die and be resurrected. Mark 10, a third time, he told them he was going to die and be resurrected. And so now he comes to visit them. He's like, how can you guys not believe the things that you've heard up until now? You've heard reports of me. And how is it that you're sitting there in your hardness of heart and not believing? First thing that he does, the first two Cs, correction, conviction. Because that's what the Word does to us, does for us. When we have God's Word in front of us, How many of you have been sitting in church or in your devotional time and read something, or maybe been listening onto the radio, and as you were listening to it, you felt like it was just being spoken directly into your life, and it was like, wow, I got some changes I need to make? How many of you, when you heard the message that was coming from the pulpit, said, oh, he must be speaking to that person? He might be speaking to that person. He might be speaking to that person. He might hand out a mirror. because the word is speaking into our heart it speaks into our heart and what it does is that it offers correction but the reason that we're struggling sometimes to relieve it is for the same reason that they did they had Jesus walking with them they saw his power they saw that he could walk on the water calm the storm feed the multitudes resurrect the dead they saw all of these things and they still didn't believe now maybe you would think well if I'd have been there I'd have believed really Peter didn't John didn't these guys walked with him for three years so it says he rebuked their unbelief you think of believing something a lot of times we consider this our head and the hardness of heart alright and so their head and their heart whatever it was not connected in a way that was helping them to understand the truth and receive it and act on it. Their thoughts, what they believed, their hearts, their emotions, were overriding the truth. But we've never had that happen, have we? So they didn't believe. And because of this, they hardened their hearts. Now, how many of you have been hurt in a way that hardened your heart. Anybody? Hmm. Everybody? All right. We've all been hurt in a way that said, you know what? Okay, if you're in a bad relationship, oh, I'm not going to date anybody ever again. That's how I moved down here. 29 years old, I'm never dating again. Not ever. One week being down here, I'm sitting in a CPR class. There's Tiffany. And I said, what well, How would you? <laughs> the very hardness of our heart. Why do our hearts get hardened? Because we put other things in the place of God. And when we put other things in the place of God and these things end up di- they end up disappointing us, what we do is we make those things more powerful than we've made him. And now what you have is a hardened heart. Their expectations, God didn't meet them. And because the God they created didn't come through, what happened was now they didn't believe. Now there was hardness of heart. And the more we go into that direction, the more we get into unsafe territory. Listen, when the Holy Spirit gives us understanding of the word of God, gives us power to believe and the desire to live and to have the power to do the things that God calls us to, then what we do is this, is we're reading this book, it reads us, and it's like looking in a mirror. Don't believe me? Turn over to a second, for a second over to James chapter one, because as we're talking about correction and conviction, before Jesus commands them and gives them a commission, there's got to be the correction. Before he can bring them to the next place, listen to this, before he's going to bring them to the next place that they're desiring to go, there's something that needs to be corrected. And that's the first thing he does. He rebukes them for their lack of belief, their hardness of heart. Every time we open up the word of God, the truth of who he is is revealed to us. The truth of who we are is revealed to us. But listen to what James says. It's chapter 1, verse 22. But be doers of the word. Not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Listen. Anybody can listen to it. Anybody can hear it. Anybody can study for biblical knowledge. But until we start putting that in action, you're deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man, listen to this, observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Did you catch that? As you're reading the word, Matthias and I were talking about this before service this morning. We're we're living in a society where what happens is that people want to decide what they are rather than seeing what God says that they are. They want to determine what they are. So I can look, and I think that the, the illustration that we landed on was this, is that if I want to look in the mirror and identify as a cocker spaniel, I'm a cocker spaniel. Just because that's what I choose my identity to be. But that's how the enemy is lying to us our identity is getting messed up because we're not taking it from the Word of God because we're not using the Word as a mirror. We're using it to kind of pick and choose to take the things that we want. But it's a mirror. I would ask you, how many of you like it when somebody comes to you and says, listen, you're off here. Biblically, you're off. How many of you like that? None of us. None of us. How many of you say, you know what, even if it's tough, that's what I want. Okay. That's important. Even if it's tough. Come on. Drop, kick me, Jesus. Let me know. Let me know what you've got for me. What am I doing wrong? Because I don't want anything to get in my the way of my relationship with Christ. Okay, well, this is getting in your relationship with Christ. That's it. I'm leaving the church. Goodbye. <laughs> Good night. Bye. And you can. Why? Because it's the year Oh, It's the year 2020 right? You've got a church on every corner, so if you don't like what I'm seeing here, there's another church right down the road. You can do that. Right? Correction, conviction. I hate to admit this, honestly. The other day I'm speaking to a group at the uh, place that I go and I minister to on the weekends, and as I'm speaking, I get a note fold it up, and hand it to me. One of the guys, I open it up, it says, XYZ. Hmm, why is he handing me a note with the last three letters of the alphabet? Until I realized why he handed me the XYZ note. Because in some circles, XYZ stands for what? Examine your zipper. My zippo was down. <laughs> I'm sitting there trying to say, okay, why? I'm sitting there and I'm just alright, what's this about here? Alright. <laughs> what did I do? I walked out the door, I zipped up, and we continued in the word of God. <laughs> Listen, I want to be told. Don't you? <laughs>
1: don't you want to be told
0: we say we do we say we do correction and conviction but again so often we're looking at what somebody else is doing but the bible doesn't tell us to do that you know except for matters of accountability which are important it tells us to work out our own salvation in fear and trembling So yes, there's biblical accountability in the church when we see somebody off and we go to them in love for the purposes of building them up after we've examined ourselves. But the fact of the matter is the Bible says for me to work out my own salvation in fear and trembling, I don't need to be nudging my wife in the church when I hear a message. See, See what God's saying to you? (laughs) Now, we need to be looking in the mirror. That's why God gave us the word. Because he loves us. He knows that the only way we'll become the men and women of God that he desires us to be is if this book continues to prune away the things that have um, happened to us over the years or the choices that we've made and the people that we've become. And that's what he's desiring to do when we open up this word, God, change me. It takes a lot to pray, God, even if it hurts, give me the correction. Give me the conviction of the Holy Spirit to make the changes that need to be made. Second Kings, there's the story of a man named Naaman. Naaman was a Syrian commander. He was a great commander, a leader of men but the bible says he was a leper and when he hears that there's a prophet in israel that can heal him he goes to knock at the door of the prophet it's second kings five and as he goes to knock at the door of the prophet well he's kind of expecting a disney movie he's expecting to knock on the door of the prophet the prophet is going to come out and wave this wand and he's going to be miraculously healed that's not how the whole thing plays out Naaman, the Syrian commander, goes, knocks on the door. 2 Kings 5, verse 9 says, Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away. And said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Havana and the Farfar and the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away in a rage. He's about to miss his healing. He's about to miss his healing in his pride. And... I pose to you that Naaman's true issue was not so much as the leprosy as God wanted to deal with his pride. And so he knocks on the prophet's door. You're not even going to come out to see me. I have to go wash in that filthy Jordan River instead of the rivers I think I should wash in for my healing. And in his pride, he's about to walk away. But listen to what happens. Verse 13. His servants came near and spoke to him, saying, My father... If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean. Pastor's translation of that section, the servant comes up to him and says, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Truly. I love that. Do you have those people in your life that love you enough to tell you how it is? Biblically. If not, go get some. (laughs) Go get some. Surround yourself with them. Because those are the people that love God more than they love you. And because they love God more than they love you, then they'll love you the way God loves you. And the way they were intended to. So as Jesus speaks to the disciples, it's not this warm, fuzzy Homecoming at first. First, it's a word of correction and conviction. Back to Mark 16. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Stop right there. So the first two C's were correction and conviction. The second two C's are command and commission. Command and commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Now in the context, you don't have to go home and tell the family cat about Jesus or the family dog. They're not going to get it. They're not going to understand. Okay. Every creature in this context, those that were created, those that were created, the creatures in the image of God that can be saved by what Jesus did on the cross for us. That's the context and the correct context of it. You've been given this command. You've been given this commission and the world is on fire and it's burning. And you have what it takes and what is needed to put the healing salve on it. One writer puts it like this, an interest in missions is not an elective in God's university of grace. It is something in which every disciple is expected to major in. So in other words, well, I'm not going to tell this person about Jesus because it's not my calling. It's not. (laughs) We're all called Everybody in this church is called to be a minister. Not to just sit here and receive, but to go out and tell. And it's not a suggestion. It's called the Great Commission. When we study it, typically, usually in the book of Matthew, and it reads like this, it's worded. It says, all authority. Jesus said and came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me. In heaven and on earth. With this authority, what does he do? He says, sit in your churches and wait for people to come. (laughs) No, he says, go, therefore... Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It's called the great commission, not the great suggestion. It is a command, and it is, in fact, the church's marching orders, so that we can fulfill what we were created to do, because you were created in the image of God to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That got messed up in the garden. And so what God did is he provided another tree which his son would hang on so that we could receive real life, abundant life through him. But he didn't give this abundant life so that we could do nothing with it. There's a command and a commission. Now, I would ask you if you're like, well, right now, Pastor, I'm really kind of struggling with, you know, where I'm at in my life and, you know, and God's plan for my life and meaning and purpose, and I'm struggling with these things. Well are you doing what your marching orders called you to do? Because your marching orders are being told to go out into the world and bring the things that you're learning. So you bring the gospel out into the world. You, if you're studying something, uh, and God has shown you something that you're studying and you're share it with someone. It's a command and a commission to go and make disciples. Not make converts, that's not our job, but to preach the gospel is to go up there and preach it with truth and with conviction, because these are words of life. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but after Peter uh, and the disciples are in prison in the book of Acts, it's Acts chapter 5, where the angel of the Lord breaks them free from prison and gives them this command as they're leaving. Acts 5.20, this is what the angel tells them. says, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life all the words of this life. What are the words of this life? It's the gospel. That's your command, that's your commission. If that's not a part of your daily agenda, to go out there and live for Jesus, to go out there and preach Jesus, to go out there and let people know then maybe you're acting on your own authority in your life. You're not acting on his authority and you're wondering why you feel so distant from him. Why I don't feel close to God right now. Here's the thing, when you realize what he's done for you on the cross and what it means for your life, your desire to tell people is not going to be out of a sense of religious compliance. It's going to be because you're so grateful and you're so full of joy because you realize what has been restored for you by the cross of Christ. I I have to go up there and I have to play. hand somebody coffee i have to do that i've got to stay after church i've got to clean up i've got to i've got to do these things because i want to do anything i can for him we should be fighting to outserve one another as a church we should be fighting to go out there and tell people we should be jumping if we if we really understood the message we should be jumping over one another to get to the people that are hurting and dying because they don't have this message. And that brings us to the next part, verse 16 of chapter 16. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Stop right there. We're gonna have to unpack this because the first thing that we saw was correction and conviction. Then we have, in the next section that we looked at, our command and our marching orders. I know there's another C there, but I forgot it in 48 in school. Here we have choice and consequence. There's what you're responsible for and there's what you're really not. And as a pastor, this has been a hard lesson. I'm responsible to love people and give them the Word of God, the choices that people make after that. that I'm not responsible for. I'm responsible to look in the mirror and to change as I'm reading God's Word and to be more and more like Jesus. Sometimes I really get it right, and a lot of the times I really get it wrong. But it's choice and consequence. We want to really break this verse apart to get the full impact. First it says, he who believes. And when we talk about believing, well, that's the word that we associate with faith. It's what we believe. It's what we have faith in. what we have trust in. All right? Somebody astutely brought it out to my attention before. PJ, you've got a chair up here. And you're so excited that you never sit in. it. And I was like, good, because today I'm going to get to use it for a sermon illustration. All right, so I'm looking for something to sit in. And so, I do what so many of us do nowadays, because I hate walking in any store. I go to Amazon, and I go to amazon.com, and I see a picture of this chair. It says it'll hold this much weight. It says that if I buy this chair, and I assemble it, that it'll hold this much weight, the company has a lot of faith in this product. It guarantees this product. And because it guarantees this product, the product comes with a warranty. Now, the longer the warranty is, the more faith the company has in their product. Is that fair? Well, they've got a lot of faith because this chair particularly has a lifetime warranty on it. They guarantee it. So now I have not sat in it, but I take a leap of faith and I buy it. And I spend my money on it and it comes in the mail. Now what I have in front of me, is I have a uh, a box, and it has a picture of the chair on it, and it has instructions inside of it. So what do I do? I call one of the guys at the church to have them put it together. No, <laughs> no what I do is... Yeah, he does. but that is what I do. In all honesty, but not for the sake of illustration. All right? <laughs> for the sake of illustration, what I do is, all right, I unpack it. I want it to look like what's on the box, and so what I do is I read the instruction manual. Because that tells how to get me to what's on the box so that it can do the thing that it's supposed to do. So I have the faith to buy it. Now I have to open up the instruction manual. And as I'm reading the instruction manual, I take st- pain- staking. Staking, thank you painstaking efforts to assemble it. No, you don't. No, I don't, though. <laughs> but I don't. <laughs> But I would. I mean, I should, but I don't. Um, But I take painstaking efforts to assemble it. Now, here's the chair. It's assembled. I've got the guarantee. I've got the warranty. But now, here comes the leap of faith. For the very first time... um, (laughs) For the very first time, I sit in it. And I find out that it can do exactly what they say it can do. This chair is doing exactly what it's supposed to do. I'm doing exactly what I was made to do in the chair. When we look at God's Word, when we read the directions and we believe that God is who He says He is and that He can do the things He says He can do, What happens is that we begin enjoying this very fulfilling relationship where the creature is doing the thing that it was made to do by the one that created it. And there is a lifetime guarantee. There's a lifetime guarantee. It's a matter of choice and consequence. Now, listen. Now, it says here he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Now, baptism is not entry to heaven. Baptism is just evidence that we believe what we say we do. It's our public declaration And BTW. If anybody wants to get baptized in this church, anybody has been baptized, maybe didn't understand it when you did it, and you want to get baptized, please see us. We yes. love doing that. Yes. Alright, so getting baptized, this is an important step because it's a step of obedience. And so there are people that have been saved without being baptized. Evidence, the thief on the cross. So you can... Be saved without being baptized. But if you know to be baptized and you are saved, then why wouldn't you be? Because you said, he's the Lord of my life. And I said, I'm stepping out in obedience. I'm calling the Lord. I'm receiving you as the Lord. What are you telling me to do? Well, here's something simple. Be baptized. That's something I can do without messing up. And so there's baptism. And and so anybody that wants to do that, please let us know. But he who believes and and is baptized will be saved. That word saved is really, really important, gang. Because sometimes what we do as a church, we just say, you know what? Okay, if you say this prayer, it's entrance to heaven, it's automatic, almost like saying abracadabra, hocus pocus, Jiminyocus is what my father told me when I was young, so say the magic words, and it's not that. So when you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe in your heart, well, if you believe it in your heart that he's Lord, then something changes. And yes, it is a gift, but it's that gift that you receive that once you receive it, you realize that it's not just about entrance to heaven as sometimes we reduce it in the church. We sometimes reduce the teaching to say, well, it's what happens after. But this is more about a state of reconciliation with God, complete reconciliation that's possible. Now, my evidence for this is in the book of Mark also. It's Mark, it's chapter five, and it's verse 20. Mark 5 and I, and I want you to hear what we're going to say here. This is a woman who's been sick for 12 years. She's been sick for 12 years with what the Bible calls the issue of blood. Mark 5, it's actually verse 25, I'm sorry about that. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. And it suffered many things from many physicians. That's pretty cool, right? Suffered many things from many physicians. A lot of the doctors botched it up. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I only may touch his clothes, listen to this, I shall be made well. Is she looking to go to heaven? No no she's looking to have her problem solved she's looking to be made whole again but that word there shall be made well it's the same word for being saved there's a physical component wholeness and wellness that comes with reconciliation with god and when we come to the cross what happens is this we receive spiritual healing where god's giving us the love the joy the peace the patience. The kindness, the goodness, the fruit of the Spirit. We have power over sin. We have power over temptation. When we get out of the way, that's been given to us the moment we went to the cross. We've also been given the fruit of the Spirit. But we still have to live in these earthly tents. And sometimes physical healing happens. Sometimes it doesn't. But here's the thing. What has been given when we were saved, and this is why the church has to present the full picture. It's not just a matter of, you know, if you died today and you stood before God, it's how you live today also. Very much how you live today and how you see this world and what you do about it. Being saved means being reconciled to God, being brought into right relationship with him in a way that matters, not just for what happens here, but for eternity. Because if salvation is about being made whole through the reconciliation with Christ, then, then we should be living in freedom. We can be living in true freedom. And that's the way we have to present it. Because you have a lot of, quote, saved Christians that are living in total bondage. They're living in total bondage to the things of the world. They haven't been set free from the things of the world because maybe sometimes in the church we've gotten the message wrong. We made it all about the eternal destination rather than the present situation. And it's about both. It's not just about one, but it is about both indeed. And so there's the choice that's set before us. You believe and are baptized, and you're saved. But there's another part of that choice, and that the other part of that choice is that he who does not believe, well, that person is going to be condemned. And I don't know that I like that word, condemned. So let's dummy it down a little bit. It's damned in some of your Bibles. I mean, when you hear that, does it bother you? That you've been given this truth that has saved your life and you might know somebody and it's like, oh, I'm afraid of hurting their feelings. Be more afraid that if today they took their last breath and they didn't know Jesus, there are consequences. Now, That said, we've got a few more verses in Mark and we're going to go for it. So let's go. Verse 17 says this. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. You see both in the book of Acts. They will take up serpents. You see that in the book of Acts. If they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. You don't see that in the book of Acts, but the early church fathers have recorded instances of that. They will lay hands on the sick And they will recover. You also see that in the book of Acts, verse 19. So then after the Lord has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the words through the accompanying signs. Amen. Last two C's, charge and confirmation. When I say charge, I mean a power charge that these disciples are given because they're given the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit falls upon the church, and they're told they're going to do these mind blowing, mind numbing things. You're going to take up service. You're going to lay hands on the sick. And you're going to do all of these things. Speak in new tongues. That's exactly what the text says, right? And if that's what the text says, then it poses some questions Is God still doing this today? Some of you are going like this, and some of you are going like that. And that's fine. But the question is, is God still doing this today? And again, as we go through the book of Acts, we can see it. Through the ages and the early recordings and the writings of the church fathers, we can see it. In today's world, we can see it. But then you would say, well, Pastor John, if you're asserting that this still happens today, in my personal experience, in what I see living in the United States of America in 2020, I kind of feel like that Casting Crown song where they write, well, if we are the body, why aren't his hands reaching? Why aren't his arms reaching? Why aren't his hands healing? Why aren't his words teaching? And if we are the body, why aren't his feet going? Why is his love not showing them there is a way? There is a way. There is a way. We as a church believe this. We believe that God is just as powerful because he's unchanging as he's always been. We believe that according to 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9, that we have an adversary that's like a roaring lion waiting to pounce. He has not lessened his attack on the church. We believe that we are to be the hands and feet. And if we're to be the hands and feet facing the same enemy, it only goes that we would have the power that is described, but then why don't we see it? I've written down a few things. One, again, we reiterate that we have the word from Genesis to Revelation in a way that even these great men of the Bible didn't have it. Now, some churches teach this, that because we have the word, you won't see the signs. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this is that because we have the Word and so many disregard it or don't believe it, that we're prevented from unleashing God's power. You see, if we have the written Word in front of us and we're not listening to it, the Bible says this faith comes by seeing the sign after form? No. It says faith comes by hearing, hearing comes from the Word of God. Jesus was standing right in front of them and they didn't believe him, so they couldn't see him. So the heart behind the request, it was these people saying, well, you show us a sign. You show us a miracle. Oh, I don't have to do that. I'm God. And you're not believing the things that I'm doing right in front of you anyway. So we've got the word from Genesis to Revelation in front of us, but so many are disregarding it or just not believing it. That's one reason that we might struggle to see God's power in the world today. Here's another. Even in Acts, as they performed miracles, there was the tendency of men to give the credit to men and not to God. When Paul and Barnabas performed miracles in Acts 14, well, it says that they looked at Barnabas and said, he was Zeus, and they looked at Paul and they said that he was a Hermes. And so who gets the credit today when men stand up front glorifying themselves often? The public has a tendency to exalt the man, and the man has a tendency to exalt himself. And so that might have something to do with it. Number three, a lack of dependence on God. Welcome to the year 2020 where you have access to basically anything you need and want right here, on your computers, (laughs) in your hands. We have such access to these things that when your car breaks down on the side of the road, the first thing that you do is call Andrew No, The first thing that you do is not pray usually. The first thing you do is you pick up somebody you know can help you. So there's a lack of dependence because of the advancement in technology. But not only is there a lack of dependence because of the advancement in technology, there's also a lack of the development of Christ-like character in the church. And a church that is not so concerned about showing the fruit as they are seeing the signs. If we're not loving people and if we're not showing joy, is it possible that we can hinder the work that God desires to do? And here's another one. Abuse and exploitation of the gifts. Listen. Listen. You can go on YouTube and you can see. well, this pastor is bringing snakes into his church to prove what is said at the end of the book of Mark and to give an example of a Paul did. Well, the pastor sits there in the YouTube video, gets bit by a snake and almost dies right there. And so it's why you're doing it also. It's the abuse and exploitation of the gifts where people are saying, okay, you come to our stadium event and listen, if you pay enough money, we'll put you on stage and we'll heal you. And never cancel that's right if you pay enough it's an exploitation and an abuse of the gifts and we're wondering why are we struggling to see God's power because this is like the perfect storm we have too much technology too little fruit too much of our culture's tendency to exalt people and cultivate celebrity status and not enough motivation to simply pursue relationship with God which if we did wow wouldn't that unleash so much if we were as bent on pursuing the relationship with the one that this passage tells us is sitting at the right hand of God and who is advocating for us, interceding for us day and night until the day he finally calls us home and we see his face. And so we see a world today. Show us. Okay, why? What if they saw him inside you? What if they saw that? That in and of itself, if you're able to forgive in this world, in the year 2020, when so many are being counseled, well, now if you have to forgive, then you just stay away from the negative energy and, and all that kind of stuff. Love uncommonly. Resolve to celebrate God. I have to believe that when these guys went out, after their encounter with Jesus and the filling of the Holy Spirit, the reason there was massive growth in the church is because these guys bought what they were selling by their words and by their actions. A little boy built a model ship. He glued all the pieces together, worked on it for hours, it was perfect. Every detail was correct, down to tiny sailors standing on the deck. He put it in a glass case. He wouldn't let his brother play with it in the bathtub. He was going to keep it perfect by keeping it safe, and his parents brought a real boat so they could spend the weekend sailing out on the harbor. They loved it. At first, it was a lot of work to maintain. Boat owners will be the first to tell you that the day you buy the boat, is the happiest day of your life and that the second happiest day of your life is the day that you sell it. At first, they used it a lot, but then they used it less. It was expensive to use. And after a few months, they went to spend a day sailing and found barnacles grown on the side, algae all over it, and a dead motor. A real boat is only kept in shape by being used. The two boats worked in opposite ways. The model was preserved by being kept safe. The real boat was preserved by being used. Application for the church. Churches are like the real boat. They are only kept in shape by being used. Churches that are preserved and spared use will eventually fall into disrepair. But churches that pour themselves into serving their communities will find energy, calling, passion, Love, But that means that the church has to come together, believing what he says here, using our gifts, and we're going to talk a lot about that next week. But the church has to come together, using the gifts, being good stewards of the thing God has blessed us with. And then, when we live it, and we're resolved to tell people about it, if Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, if he said, all authority has been given to me, and he says, go, therefore, and you, and you do it and you speak it the way you're commanded to that you have his authority driving, motivating, compelling your life. Father in heaven, we thank you. We thank you God that as we look at this book We study it from the beginning of the ministry of Jesus now till the commission of the disciples. Commissioned to be his hands and feet, they were. Commissioned to be your hands and feet, we are. And if we're going to do that, we can only do that when we have that fresh filling of your spirit. Father, we love you. We praise you. We're going to close with a song, but we're not going to. We're going to pray. Father, as we go through this, there's correction and conviction that we see in the very beginning there are things that are in any of our lives that are preventing us from experiencing you to the full. Would you please bring them to our mind and our heart? That we may repent. I'll just do the silent. I'll give you a there's something that he's bringing to your heart and you know that this is holding you back. Maybe it's a, an attitude or something that you're holding on to or a fear or um, unbelief or hardness of your heart. Whatever it is. Just ask for forgiveness. Ask him to take it. Any area you need to correct us. Maybe you're just desiring to reveal yourself more to someone here, and they're just not picking up the word. Maybe there's a relationship in here. We're not treating each other right. Husband and wife, friends, whatever it is. Maybe there's a bad feeling about somebody in the body. Help us, God. our sins you're faithful and just and you forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness but then there are our marching orders I pray Lord that you would convict the heart of every person in this church that if we're not telling people more about you that we would take your command and your commission very seriously Lord Lord that if you said all authority has been given to you, then your desire is for this word to get out, and that's going to be not just by what we say, not just by what we learn, but by what we do, and what we say, and what we learn together, working in a powerful way. And as we realize that when each hears the message, they have a choice and a consequence, God, I pray that that burdens us more than anything. That if we have people in our lives that we know that don't know you, that it would start crying out. Truly, deeply, madly, passionately burdened. That they would come to you. Knowing what's at stake. And that we would realize also, God, the power you've given us to accomplish the task before us. The charge and the confirmation that your power is confirmed by what we do and how we live. When those components are brought together. True power in the Christian life when there's less of us and more of you. Help us to love better. Help us to love more. And help us to trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.